I'm surprised any of my panel are willing to take the seat, actually, because the, the, the objective of the first panel discussion of Singapore uh, Capital Link was to put the discussion back into panel discussions and actually create a debate, because so, too often, I find, sometimes on these panel discussions, the questions have been put to the panel well in advance and we get scripted answers. So hopefully, we're going to see a, a, a real discussion, and I, I thank my, my victims um, for uh, agreeing to this format and uh, hopefully uh, giving you some of their uh, insight and knowledge. On the panel, we have Mr. Wei Zhuang, who is the regional man manager of uh, BIMCO Asia. We have uh, Mr. Arjun Batra, who is the group managing director of Drury. We have Mr. Tim Wilkins, regional manager Asia of Intertanko. Mr. Eddie Valentis, uh, who is President and CEO of Pixis Tankers, and Mr. Martin Crawford Brunt, uh, new CEO of Rightship. My name is Mark O'Neill of uh, Columbia Ship Management, and we're very proud to co-host this first um, Capital Link in Singapore. So as I said, the, the objective today is to put discussion back into uh, panel discussion. There's been no prepared questions, except obviously by me, uh, to put to them. Uh, there's going to be no monologues of uh, what these kind gentlemen do or do not do. Uh, it's going to be honest, unedited, unscripted uh, debate and discussion. And I would ask uh, my panelists to feel free to answer any question I put to the panel uh, as they feel able to do so, and indeed to uh, interrupt in a gentlemanly way one another's uh, uh, comments and actually have a, have a discussion as we go along, because I think it's far more interesting for the audience um, to go along uh, in, in that way. So, fingers crossed this works, and um, it's not an unmitigated disaster when we go back to pre-prepared questions, uh, but uh, panelists, if you would like to put your fingers on your buzzers, your hypothetical buzzers, we'll, we'll get straight uh, into it. What we're not going to talk about, uh, unless you, someone in the audience particularly wants us to, is um, what the, the previous game-changing panels have discussed, which is uh, ballast water, and scrubbers. I think we will. I think we've all had uh, quite enough of that. Uh, it is a it is a valid debate, but I think we've done it ad, ad nauseam. However, if someone wants to ask the question, then of course the the, the, the panel uh, will answer. Also, feel free, audience, to put your hand up, and and the mic will be floating uh, to interrupt and put your own points of view to the panels as we go through this discussion. It's it, it's it's a the widest possible. Uh, debate that we can have. The first topic is, uh, and before you all groan, digitalization. I think there will be something positive that comes out of this topic. I want to ask the panel what they think it is really. And uh, Epson, right at the start, in his interesting comments, said uh, it won't be such a dramatic change to the industry. We have a lot of young people coming into the industry who know a lot about digitalization IT. But what is it, what is it really? Do people really understand uh, what digitalization uh, is all about? It's all about processes. It's all about technology. It's all about uh, innovation. Um, and is the debate on digitalization too general and too unfocused to the specific industry sector needs, and in fact, the particular client needs. So um, my question, my first question, with that as a, a, a backdrop, my first question to the panel, whoever wants to answer it, is, 
Is digitalization a must-have for all of these good people sitting in the, office, in the, uh, in the audience uh, and their specific uh, businesses, or is it a like-to-have, or are we facing another year 2000 myth about digitalization and its absolute necessity? Over to the panel. Get your punches in first, I think, is the, is the response. Um, I think it depends on how you define uh, digitalization. Is this working? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Espen did say rather smartly at the beginning of the session that it depends on um, the speed that, with which you uh, envisage digitalization to, to take over in this industry. Uh, I think it will happen, and it is happening already. Uh, you only have to sit in any of the conferences that are going on this week and everybody's talking about it. Um, I think, though, it comes down to definition. What we've seen with, within Intertanko um, is a slow uptake in, um, I, I guess you pointed out there, in, in very sort of small areas within a company, within a sector, um, using um, software at the moment, using software, not the hardware, because we're at that stage, I think. Uh, to improve processes, to improve communication on board, communication between the ship and the shore. We're having it because uh, we've been driven by various other external factors such as uh, environmental legislation. Um, we've seen it with SIMP, we've seen it with MRV, uh, and I think all this technology, um, whilst we've been slightly forced to do it, uh, certainly is going to be part of that digital process. Now, if we go to Martin Stockford's comments, um, he talked about the, the 2050 and the 50%. I think digitalization will help us get to that point. Um, and I think using technology will help us get to that point. What we're talking about now is processes and software which will get us up to the 2023 deadline, which is our short-term uh, objective for, for the likes of GHGs. Um, I think then we need to start looking longer term, so 20, 25-year cycle of the ship, when we're going to start employing certain types of technology on board the vessels. So my concluding remark on that then is that it is happening. I don't think it's a myth. Um, it's happening today. It's happening on an operational level today. But give it time, and this industry will eventually take it up on much more uh, hardware uh, processing side of things. I think having, having talked at some of these uh, uh, technological uh, technology conferences in the past, I think what people miss often with uh, digitalization is that it's not just about the latest software or the latest hardware. It's about processes uh, and innovation. And to go down the digitalization path, you have to look at your processes and you have to have innovative ideas before you then digitalize. So, uh, I, I, Tim, I, I take on board what you're saying, but, but is there more of focus required from businesses as to what they do, uh, what their clients need? and then tailor the digitalization process to that, rather than just embarking on a very expensive, and let's face it, it, it uh, those of you who have embarked on this process will be presented initially with a huge bill, uh, a very expensive process, unless it is more focused and refined for the specific market need. Arjun, would you want to comment? Yeah, I mean, my, my view is actually, I mean, you know, digitalization is not new, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think it's mid-90s we started the, email communication, computers. The, the industry has transformed a hell of a lot already. And, you know, I must say that the bulk shipping is quite efficient. And to me, digitalization really is, must have a purpose. And the purpose can be only two, either make more money or have lower cost. 
So you know, I think just brandishing this word, we'll digitalize everything which moves, doesn't really make much sense unless you have a purpose. And you know, I think there, there is definitely improvements, there is organic improvements you can do with technology, better technology, better information. It's a question is how do you use it and what are the low-hanging fruits? You know, and I, I, I don't think most of shipping is inefficient. It's not like the taxis which were buzzing around and you Uberized it or Airbnb did. You know, I think, you know, cargos have moved around incredibly efficiently, very cost-effectively, with very low intermediation costs for centuries. So, I, you know, I think technology will improve it, but it is not going to disintermediate what we've learned over all these centuries. So, you know, I think it has to have a purpose. We have to remain focused, you know, what you want to do with it. Timothy. Yeah. I just, I'll just pick up on what Arjun said about the, the drivers for, for this and, and, and picking up on my previous comments that you said that uh, generating, uh, generating, generating cash and cost savings would have been the main sort of drivers for this. But I'd contest that actually regulatory compliance at the moment is where we're seeing a lot of the uh, digital processes uh, being applied. Uh, and again, I, I use the example as SIMP, but you can see it throughout environmental compliance. Um, it, it, I don't want to use the, the, the term you mentioned before, but I, I think that is a current driver for where uh, we are today at the moment, uh, not, just the, not just the financial side of things. Do you think, uh, think digitalisation is uh, the wrong focus? And, and uh, last year's debate was very much uh, digitalization, digitalization, it's all about digitalization. Unless you digitalize, in fact, I think I said it a number of times, it's existential, your business will not exist. Is it actually just part of the overall optimization process? Shipping has to get better. We have to do things uh, better. We have to do things more cost-effectively. Uh, we have to do things more competitively with, with, our, with, our, with the market. Martin, do you want to have a Yes, I think, you know, if we're talking about game changes, I think one of the game changes really is transparency. And we can see that in our everyday lives, that comes to us via our phones and things. This is happening outside of shipping, and it's coming into shipping. So when we think about digitalization, we've got to think about this in the context of transparency and what this means for your business, to what Tim said in terms of regulatory compliance. You know, the margin for error is so much smaller these days that if you're not setting up your systems and processes to manage this, you could find yourself in a very difficult situation very quickly. And uh, we, we hear a lot, in, we see a lot, we read a lot in the press about certain companies uh, on this digitalization path. My feel is that we're all embarking on this digitalization path, and there's very few companies out there that are digitalized or, or even nearly digitalized. It's a, having started this process, we know it's a long, it's a long one. Would you, would the panelists agree that actually, you know, there is a lot of talk about this, uh, but actually we're all at the start point. There's, there's very few people who are ahead of the game at this stage uh, of the digitalization road. Um, I just wanted to echo what Arjun said. Actually, digitalization is not something new. It has been there in the industry. And uh, so far, what we are doing towards digitalization is just something we wanted to make the optimization. And that's it. That's why we can see from IMO just to highlight the importance to you know, cut the red tapes and how make our shipping business easier and user-friendly way. I think you know, in terms of the digitization, yes, it is expensive. It's not cheap. Nothing is cheap. And also, it, 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 you have to reconsider your size, your strategy of your shipping company, your company, yourself. 
But if we're looking at the generic view, I would say price has never got to be the problem. If you look at digitization, if you look at innovation technology, outside the shipping industry, if you talk to the investors, if you talk to the capital, if you talk to IT guys, they don't think the money is the problem. So I think in the long run, if we could just broaden our horizon out from industry and try to find a reliable partner, do a string of the experiment, we can make the steps step by step. But here there will be two factors we, we, we needed to consider, which is very important. The first, we all know that the data. And everything we talk about, your, your vendor, your supplier, your shipyards, and your clients, everyone wants to keep the data themselves. And how we can share the data, how we can I'm going to stop you on data, because data is a separate question. You're going to leave me short of questions if you, if you okay. go on, on to data. Just uh, stick to digitalization, if you wouldn't mind, way. That, that, that's fine. So that's digitalization. Any questions on digitalization from the audience at all? Yes, sorry. Could we have a mic to the gentleman on the right? I don't have a question. I have a point of view. I disagree strongly with the panel. This is not about optimization. This is not incremental. Uh, what Arjun said, and Arjun is a dear friend, but I like to disagree with him. Uh, what Arjun said is it has been happening for 20 years. This is like saying when Henry Ford set up the assembly line that we've been having uh, vehicles for hundreds of years. This is truly disruptive. Imagine for a moment, just imagine that you are in the east coast of the United States and you have small pods moving out of a whole bunch of different ports, robotically coming together, forming a swarm, which then moves across to Asia and at a particular point divides itself again and moves into different ports, hands over the cargo which needs to be handed over to each port, then picks up fresh stuff, comes back, forms two different ports, uh, swarms, one going off further east, one going off west. That's going to change shipping, and that's not far away. Just recently, we had uh, four young guys to make us presentations on these kind of technologies. They are, not, they are saying, they're not talking about the next 20 years. They're saying this is going to happen in the next three to five years. So I think we guys... I, I, think, I think we're in agreement with you. Thank you for... Uh, starting the, the, the process off from the audience. I, I think we're in agreement with you. I think it, the, the, the question is uh, a particular digitalization for specific companies. It needs to be focused and we need to appreciate it's not just about technology, it's also about processes uh, and innovation. Okay, second uh, question for, or second theme for the panel is all about consolidation. I think consolidation is a game changer. We're seeing uh, consolidation not just in the liner companies, we've seen a lot of exposure from one uh, recently, uh, also Maersk, um, con consolidating and acquiring companies, but, but also management companies and across the whole, uh, the whole sector and indeed across other, uh, other industries. Uh, is the question for the, for the panel then, uh, quite a wide-ranging one, but is bigger always better and more beautiful? And can bigger companies, and I've got fairly strong views on this too, but can bigger companies uh, give the same attention to the smaller customer as the smaller uh, companies can? So is the, is the think big, act small policy possible? Over to the panel. Can I take this? Yes, of course Thanks, Mark. Uh, being a small company, then <laughs> I think I should take this. 
uh, yeah, obviously consolidation is the um, uh, something which is happening lately and it's very, very popular. Uh, but uh, let's face it, uh, shipping is a very fragmented industry. Um, as far as uh, we are in the product tanker business and the biggest product tanker business, the big product tanker company now controls only 5% of the fleet. So uh, uh, to get at uh, a substantial size, uh, this consolidation needs to go a long way. Um, we believe that the small company and the small owner is still competitive and can compete on a, on a, on a straight basis with a larger company as far as, as costs are concerned. Uh, we prove that every day. We are a listed company and we prove that every day that our cost structure is similar to larger companies. So I believe that having a smooth operation uh, and having the, um, the know-how uh, serves a small company as good as a big company. Uh, also, I wanted to make a small comment regarding the digitalization. Uh, uh, it's a commitment. It's, not, uh, uh, it's an ongoing process, and the, the companies need to be committed. As far as your comment about bigger companies uh, leading the way, yes, a few com container companies are leading the way in digitalization. The smaller companies, the bulk companies, are now getting into the game. But I think we're committed, and the, at the end of the day, we want to operate our fleet more efficiently, and this is the way to do it. Is, uh, is the general proposition that a small company uh, uh, that a small company can compete with the larger companies where you have an environment requiring economies of scale, where you have an environment requiring investments in IT and digitalization, uh, in infrastructure, in processes, in people. And this is a topic that we're going to come on uh, in, a in a minute. The, the dearth, uh, because of the last 10 years in shipping, uh, the dearth of a whole generation uh, of people that haven't come into shipping because it's been unattractive, but can smaller companies really compete with the bigger ones uh, in those areas? Uh, I, I, just as a general proposition, I'm sure there are exceptions in certain niches, but as a general proposition, that's quite difficult to accept. Does anyone else want to have a, a comment on that? I think this, uh, I, don't th I don't know if small companies can compete more and more regulation, more and more digitalization, more cost. But I think mediums, uh, medium companies do have the ability to compete and be agile. I think that's what a medium company has, agility, streamlined management, which bigger companies tend to be a little more bulky and slow moving. But I, you know, from my perspective, when I hear the word consolidation, I think I agree that shipping is broadly very fragmented on the sort of ship owner side. But what sort of worries me a bit is the consolidation on the cargo side. And you know, if we saw Martin's slide about Asia as a big buyer for shipping. But you know, you start putting China Inc. when the, the SOEs all act together. That could be quite worrying, you know, if, if they got the act together to act as one unit. So I, I, you know, that's the side of consolidation I feel a little bit more scared about. Certainly in, uh, in, in my, my previous career in the law, we saw a lot of pressure from the middle, on the middle companies. There's always, at the bottom, there's always niches to operate in uh, and costs to cut, et cetera, and uh, services to provide more, more cheaply and perhaps cost effectively. The larger ones will also do, always do well. It's the middle size that get the squeeze. And I'm just wondering whether that's the same in shipping. I imagine it would be for the same reasons. Martin, do you have anything to say on that? 
I think I've heard some very plausible arguments that actually small companies are going to be able to compete better if they get themselves set up on the right platform. And this comes back to how you use your data and how you set up your processes, how you organize yourself. So I don't think it's universal that you're a big company, you succeed because you can invest. I think, you know, this term frenemies um, is one that should be considered. And you need to think a little bit about data and data transparency, which means you have to take this emotive journey to accept that it's going to happen and to be comfortable with it. And if you can work in that environment, then I think as a small company, you've got every advantage to compete in the same way as a large company. But it's about your mindset. That's actually a very good point because, you know, it, it, it's troubled a lot of us for a long time why smaller shipping companies don't cooperate or, or, or co-opetition. Uh, as, as some companies like to uh, uh, put it, why they don't cooperate more on certain base functions and to allow them, therefore, to continue as a niche operator but share the cost and share the expense of some of these, uh, some of these processes. So, so hopefully that will occur and we won't see uh, the larger companies uh, dominating and the smaller companies will still be able to uh, operate satisfactory. We're going to look at the Arjun's comment on trade uh, or the, the, the cargo suppliers and the consolidation and the verticalization of the market. We're going to look at that uh, in a minute as well. Eddie. Just a small comment. I mean, commercially it makes sense to consolidate and that's why we see all these pools being created, it makes sense to have a commercial partner. Uh, but operational-wise, I think that a small company can can compete the same way with a bigger company. Mark, if I, if I, I think you, you said in the future, why don't the smaller companies? Certainly what we've seen within Interdanko, we've got 200-odd you know, member companies ranging from five ships up to you know 205 ships. But we see the smaller companies, and, and Eddie's one of the Interdanko members, they will come together and, and, and they're driving the pace within, within this tank at the moment in terms of sharing information and transparency. This is what Martin was talking about as well. There is a drive, there's a desire to share information more so with the smaller companies. So, and I'm not talking about commercial information, I'm talking about safety, quality, environmental. Um, benchmarking now is becoming a way forward for certainly for the smaller companies to share. Um, and I think going back to our previous discussion about digitalization and perhaps moving on to the data idea, once we get that transparency up and running, which we do within our committee structure, um, uh, you know, I think the smaller companies have uh, as, as much uh, fight in them as, as the larger ones in a sense. Okay, next, uh, unless there's any comments from the audience on that, um, are there any comments, any questions? No? Good. Uh, the next question, uh, or game changers, uh, as I want to put to the panel, is the concept of protectionism versus globalization. We've seen over the last year or so, last two years, a complete role reversal internationally between the US on the one side, that was the champion of globalization, and, the, and China, the Far East on the other side, that was perhaps less so. Now those roles have uh, reversed. We've seen the uh, increased use of sanctions and politicization of trade. Um, sanctions against North Korea, Iran, Russia, Cuba, plus uh, an inconsistency and unpredictability in their application and the possible snapback of these positions, particularly uh, in relation to uh, Iran. And we've seen a redrafting of the entire world map as far as accepted trading patterns 
America was always an importer of oil. It is now uh, what are going to be one of the world's largest exporters of oil, and the whole ramifications of that, and if we took look at other trades, uh, we're seeing similar, uh, similar trends. So my question, rather a general one to the panel, where I think this is a, a game changer, this politicization uh, of, of trade, this increasing politicization of trade, how does one plan financially uh, and strategically uh, for an asset that has a life of anywhere between 15 and 25 years, um, how, does one, how does one plan what asset to choose, what type of asset, whether it should be a, a, a specific asset or a more general asset when uh, looking at one's uh, long-term business plan? I'll start with uh, Eddie there because um, I, I mentioned oil in the context of, uh, of the US and probably most relevant. Yeah, asset-wise, you know, I mean, it doesn't make sense to uh, uh, choose an asset because of uh, possi possible uh, political uh, uh, instability in the future. Uh, um, the, the, the business has a plan, and uh, whether you're a bulker company, tanker owner, container company, you have your business plan. Um, definitely we're uh, in, in, in an era where um, trade war is the, the name of the game. Uh, we've seen lately the uh, American sanctions, though, the new American sanctions against Russia and the implications that this have had, especially in the aluminum prices. Um, uh, we've seen the uh, retaliation of Chinese uh, companies, especially the importers of agri-products. And uh, we're all worried how this will, uh, what implications this will have to the market. Um, in any case, uh, trade is still going on. Uh, I think logic, at the end of the day, will prevail. And uh, um, after all, we're all here to trade and we're all here to uh, make money. Therefore, I think that uh, logic, at the end of the day, will prevail and the solution will be found. Um, if you look at hi history and uh, what his, uh, in, in history what has happened and uh, with all the oil embargoes that had happened over the years and the possibility of a new um, embargo on Iran again. Um, this might, might have implications also for the tanker industry. Um, but overall, owners are survivors, uh, survivors, and at the end of the day, they will find the, um, uh, the, the size of the vessel that uh, fits well with their uh, um, uh, strategy going forward, and I'm sure they will find a way getting over these uh, uh, trade wars uh, when they happen. Uh, but you don't accept then that this is something much more fundamental. I mean, we, we've seen uh, local conflicts, we've seen sanctions being applied willy-nilly over the last uh, 10, 15 years, but this is a major shift. Uh, America is going to be the largest exporter of oil, if it's not already, very shortly. Uh, America is going to, uh, it, its protectionist policies is are not going to stop suddenly, and there will be a radical change in the relationship, the east-west relationship, as far as trade is concerned. You don't think that is fundamental to your longer-term planning? It, it, uh, definitely, but on the, other time, on the other hand, it creates opportunities, and we must see that as a new opportunity as well. It will create opportunities, it will create uh, uh, different export patterns. Uh, companies should be ready to take advantage of new opportunities that will arise because of these changes. Do you, um, perhaps uh, Arjun, a question for you. Uh, do you think that it would be wise with this fundamental change that 
uh, investors look to more general assets rather than sector or industry specific assets. So you avoid the specialization that we've seen over the past few years and invest in more general assets that are able to be more flexible in a rapidly uh, and unpredictable uh, changing environment. Yeah, Mark, I, I mean, I come from partly the old school. My, my view is, you know, shipping is, in, is an international business. Geopolitics is part of the game. And managing risk is probably all good ship owners' skill. And if we de-risk shipping completely, we'd have private equity overrun us. So I think, you know, there is a level where, you know, a skilled ship owner is able to trade the assets, you know, around and this thing, the geopolitical risk. So I think, you know, it's a risky business and it's, I think ship owners have done well in a risky business in one form or the other. So, you know, to de-risk it completely is not in the shipping community's interest, I would say. And do you think, a uh, question for the panel generally, uh, do you think in the circumstances it's better to invest in second-hand tonnage rather than going for uh, new builds that might be, as I said, again, specific to a particular sector or, or specialised, uh, and a, a second-hand tonnage with a decreased lifespan might be a, a, a more sensible bet for the moment? Um. Yeah, I mean, overall, we should avoid ordering, and this is the uh, um, uh, motto these days. So we've seen what happened in the past uh, few years, and this has purely been, uh, besides the f um, healthy demand outlook, and uh, Martin described that earlier, uh, we've over-ordered, and this has been hurting the market for the last 10 years, uh, in spite of some spikes we've seen. but. Um, uh, we would go for second-hand tonnage. I think uh, the second-hand market has great opportunities. Uh, always in, uh, having into consideration the new uh, regulations that will apply in 2019 and 2020, and uh, being able to have uh, substantial uh, uh, equity to invest in upgrading these vessels. So. Uh, um, um, Young age, uh, second hand, is the way forward for us. Uh, uh, I don't think that uh, ordering at this stage when we're trying to see a market recovery will help. And that leads uh, very well into the next game changer, which uh, I want to put to the panel, which is um, the return of this appetite for new builds. It's interesting, Martin, in his slides, pointed to a, a general trend downwards, although if you read the press, uh, it would suggest that there is a, an upsurge and perhaps it's the yard's incapacity which is keeping the, d the increased demand to a, a, a limited level, not the, uh, not the appetite. Uh, Harry Vafias described <coughs> this upsurge as a complete nightmare uh, recently in, in, in trade winds. And we're also seeing, of course, the Chinese leasing banks, their appetite for uh, getting involved perhaps in a more finance uh, traditional financing way. We're also reading uh, that some of the private equity funds are stepping into the space where the number of distressed assets are reduced or reducing. The private equity firms are now looking at traditional asset play and going direct and ordering assets with the hope of a, a, a return uh, thereafter. So against that background, um, I want to put to the panel, are we seeing a gradual return to the pre-2008 bubble uh, and uh, a possible mini-crisis or crisis thereafter if we continue 
uh, along the present trend and if the yard capacity catches up with the present demand? Martin. I think the interesting thing at the moment is, is obviously the speed of regulation. We're not going into the specifics, but regulation and the speed of new regulation is not slowing down. It's not expected to slow down either. I think one of the worst concerns that I've heard expressed by many owners is they don't want to wake up in 2021 with a hangover having placed the wrong bet. So I think it's very, very difficult. I mean, in this 23 years now, I haven't seen a time where it's been more difficult to know what to do, given the uncertainty that's been expressed by some of the, from the previous discussion. And then I think also the issue is it's not going to be one solution. It's going to be very trade and very sector specific. So I think the question is, you know, beyond that asset that you, that, that you build, if you're um, how, do you, how do you decide what to build for what trade, what technology, what do you do in the accommodation, what, uh, what equipment you put on board? I don't think this decision has been more difficult in any time that, that I've experienced. Uh, can uh, owners, operators afford to stand by? It's all very well, uh, just listening to Eddie as well, saying let's buy, let's keep to the second hand, let's avoid new building. But where everybody else is jumping in, where uh, the, the Chinese leasing banks uh, have a healthy appetite for projects where we're seeing private equity come in now. Can uh, owners, operators really afford to stand on the sidelines and say, do you know what, we'll just buy second-hand tonnage? Or is, there, is it compelling to jump in and order those new vessels at great, the great prices that we're seeing now and hopefully up to date in conformity with all the regulations that we see on the horizon and coming thereafter? Can owners afford to stand by and, and do nothing? Why? Yeah, I think you raised a very good question. That's why the problem is, let's be realistic, we are all human beings. The human beings means we are bloody greedy. So that's why the shipping industry is so fragmented. Even sometimes the big owners, they say, that, okay, you have stopped the new building, but you can see they, they would do different, completely different. And the second, I think, which is good, we're human beings, we can learn some kind of lessons. We don't want to see another crisis, which is definitely will be the disaster. So I think that's the reason why the regulations get increasingly you know, important. That will face out some kind of old technologies we don't want to use, and also give incentive for innovation. That's the reason why the industry association, just like ICS, Winko, and Itatanko, we, we, we're working very hard at the IMO at the stage, trying to focus on that. And, uh, and I think the key word to my gut feeling is adaptability. If we could tackle and we could adapt to the environment, to the future, we can survive. We can become more stronger. That's the reason why we survive, why dinosaurs just pass away. Chairman, if, if I may, just one of the issues is directly related to what you're discussing here um, is, the, is the scrapping side of things. And nobody's really touched upon it. Martin mentioned it briefly this morning. Um, but I think that needs to be taken into account as well. What we've seen at the beginning of this year is an increase in tanker scrapping uh, for various reasons. Um, uh, of course, I think commercially it, it, it's making sense at the beginning of this year, you're getting a lot more uh, for, for your lightweight. Um, but I think in the future as well, it's going to be driven slightly by uh, what's happening in Europe with the European Ship Recycling Regulation uh, and then eventually with the Hong Kong Convention. I think there's going to be a drive for, for, for scrapping as well uh, over the next um, uh, six to 12 months. Certainly, if you're taking into account what Martin was talking about in, in increasing environmental legislation, I'm not just talking about ballast in 2020, but I'm talking about increasing and tightening legislation on recycling of vessels. And I think that's the next big thing we're going to be talking about in 12 to 18 months' time. 
uh, certainly with the sanctions and restrictions uh, within Europe, affecting all owners, not just European owners. Thank you. Okay, final uh, section. We've got many more, many more questions, but uh, time is running out. Uh, big data and transparency, and this was touched on earlier on, and I think it's uh, uh, as big a game changer as digitalization and, and obviously closely uh, linked to it. Uh, with big data and the multitude of sources of that data uh, comes transparency these days, voluntarily or, or involuntarily. I think we have to proceed on the basis that everyone uh, has the possibility, uh, with permission or without permission, of knowing everything about uh, our businesses, our business operations, uh, and, and how and where we want to go. So a question to the panel, what in, that, in this age of big data and the possibility, call it uh, cyber hacking, call it uh, whatever you like, what can we do to uh, better protect ourselves uh, and limit the exposure of this big data. Someone once said to me, one of the disadvantages of digitalization, one of the reasons he or she didn't want to digitalize is that by not digitalizing, no one will actually know and be able to hack you uh, and, and your vessels will be safe uh, and you'll be able to operate just as efficiently as you have been doing for the last 20, 30 years, which is actually quite a good comment. Uh, but what can we do to uh, better protect ourselves uh, and limit big data, uh, the exposure of big data to uh, the outside market? Anyone? You know, I guess that you know, uh, owners uh, should uh, realize that this is a major danger. Um, uh, we haven't, uh, uh, as companies, we haven't given the attention we should to cybersecurity. Uh, this is uh, something which we need to uh, focus. It's not uh, something we, we need to hide. We know a lot of companies that have paid millions of dollars in uh, ransomware. So uh, um, uh, this is a big issue. Uh, all companies, I think, are starting now to focus on uh, cybersecurity. Eddie, uh, Eddie, sorry to interrupt. Do you think the companies are focusing enough on uh, their reaction to a cyber attack, or, or are they focusing on, you know, we, probably like everybody in the audience, have had lots of offers of help how to increase our cybersecurity, but the fact of the matter is we will, we will all be hacked at some stage uh, in the future. There is no protection against a determined hacker. And are companies looking down the line as to their, enough to their reaction to being hacked uh, as they should be? Mass lost three, four hundred million, not because it was hacked, but because of the reaction to that hacking where they, 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 they didn't know how to react for a period of time. Yeah, well, the problem with that is that we all think that we have the best security system until we're hacked. And then it, it's too late. Uh, so, um, we have to work with companies that know what they're doing and feel comfortable. It's not only um, uh, an office thing, it's of course a ship thing as well. Uh, offices need to, um, and crew need to realize that this is a major issue and they need to comply with uh, office standards as well as office needs to, needs to work very closely with the uh, offices in order to avoid uh, having the possibility of an attack. Um, as a, as a company, we're now starting, uh, we're changing the, the way we work. We, we were fortunate that we didn't have any incident in the past years. And now we're changing the way we work. We are, we're, we're making very difficult for uh, um, uh, to have a, such an attack. And I think uh, that this is the way forward for all the shipping companies. Thanks, Eddie. Well, very quickly. Uh, Mark, I was just going to make a comment. I, I think it's important to note the difference here that the, what, what I'm hearing more and more often now is, is a cyber safety policy, and I think that's something we've, we're taking from the airline industry. I know a lot of class societies are working on it at the moment, uh, and, and I think that's the way forward because that's that 
make sure you focus on the redundancy side of things when or if uh, uh, your services or sorry, your software does fail, uh, having that sort of safety net in place. So moving aside from the sort of hacking, which probably is some form of inevitability, what happens when your systems do fail uh, and what... And I think that's a topic for the next uh, panel as to what you do and, and the backup and the uh, business protection that you need to have in place. Uh, to react to one of these cyber hackers. My thanks to uh, a fantastic panel. I think that was a, a useful experiment on, on uh, uh, being unprepared for the, for the questions coming from those great answers. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers. Cheers. Just staying for the week. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you.